baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley and this is our weekly chat about the Braves and the rest of Major League Baseball. Of course, it's an exciting time of year. We're heading into the stretch drive, about to mark another month off the calendar. And of course, at the end of July, we have the trade deadline and everybody is going to be out doing some shopping and trying to figure out what this market is going to be. An awful lot of intrigue for the Braves, other teams in the National League East, and of course, all of the contenders across both leagues trying to get just that much better heading into the month of August, September, and hopefully into the month of October. So we've got a lot to get into on this episode of the show. And to help me break down what the Braves are going to be doing over the days leading up to the trade deadline, I'm going to have my buddy Gabe Burns from the AJC stop by. We'll talk about what the Braves could be shopping for, how the team is trending right now, and what they could be looking for over the final couple of months as they try to hold off the Nationals and the Phillies in the National League East. And as you know, it's a big road trip ahead for the Braves, which will see a three-game stop in Philly, then a three-game stop in Washington, all leading up to the trade deadline on Wednesday, July 31st. So we'll talk to Gabe Burns of the AJC about that a little bit later in the show. Before we get started, though, I want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews are appreciated as always, and be sure to follow the show on social media. On Twitter, you can find it at FromTheDiamond underscore, and you can find me on Twitter at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. On Instagram, the show is at FromTheDiamond, no underscore there, and I am at Grant McCauley there as well on Instagram. You can also find every episode of the show and all the other content I've got for you at FromTheDiamond.com. That's where you can find it all. So let's jump into things with the week that was for the Atlanta Braves, all the things making headlines for the club over the last six, seven days since we've been able to sit down and talk about the Braves on the last episode of From the Diamond. And just by the way, having Eric Cole of Talking Chop on last time, if you have not listened to that chat and you want to know a little bit more about some of the Braves' top prospects and how they're trending, what they're looking like, and maybe what pieces you'd want to see traded or not traded, well, then I invite you to go back into the archives, listen to last week's episode, it's a midseason top 30 Braves prospects list from Talking Chop. And my buddy Eric Cole did a great job over there with his team of breaking those prospects down. So I do invite you to go back and listen to that, especially with the trade deadline right around the corner. As for what's going on on the field for the Braves over the last week, there were some ups and some downs, of course. They started things off pretty well by splitting a four-game series with the Washington Nationals. Now, look, everyone would have loved to have seen the Braves take three out of four or sweep that series. But when you went into it just realistically speaking, six-and-a-half game lead, four games against the number two team in the division coming in and chasing you and trying to take every game that they can. Washington made another major statement in the opener as they slugged their way to a victory. Then the Braves had an answer. Nationals rallied back, had two out of three in their pocket, and then all of a sudden on Sunday, the return of Kevin Gosman kind of stemmed the tide for the Braves, and Atlanta was able to split that series. So for Washington, they came in six-and-a-half games out, 
They left Atlanta also six and a half games out and four days were pulled off the calendar. So it's kind of a missed opportunity, more so for the Nationals than it really was for the Braves, who really just needed to hold serve, and that's exactly what they did in that four-game series. We're going to hear from various members of the Braves and manager Brian Snitker here in a moment. But if you look at those head-to-head matchups, and even in the middle portion, late portion of July, it's hard to say this is a pivotal series. But if the Nationals had come in to Atlanta and grabbed a four-game sweep, and all of a sudden it's a two-and-a-half game lead, well, that would have been pretty interesting because right after the Nationals left town, the Braves proceeded to drop back-to-back games to the Kansas City Royals, while the Nationals turned around and took three out of four from the Colorado Rockies. So all of a sudden, that six-and-a-half game lead went right back down to four-and-a-half games as the Braves head into this six-game road trip, which begins with, again, three against the Phillies and then a stop in Washington for three more games against the Nationals, who, by the way, will have Max Scherzer back in rotation for this matchup with the Braves. So there was some good and bad on that homestand. The split with Washington, I'd say it was fine, kind of a thumbs-in-the-middle thing. What happened after that, though, was a high degree of frustration for a Braves club that was looking to just get some momentum going heading out on this road trip as the team fell flat in the two-game series against the Royals. Despite 12 strikeouts in the opener from Dallas Keuchel, the Braves lost that one 5-4 and then proceeded to be shut out 2-0 as the Royals took those two games from Atlanta and the Braves' offense kind of went lights out. So let's go back through those six games and hear from some of the men who were involved. As I mentioned, that national series ended on a high note as Kevin Gosman came off the injured list and threw one of the best starts he's had all season long. He pitched into the eighth inning, his final line, seven innings, five hits, one run earned, no walks, and eight strikeouts. And for Kevin Gosman, who has spent just over a month dealing with a foot injury and then spending time down in the minor leagues trying to figure out his pitch arsenal and selection, working on a curveball, working on a cutter, maybe a changeup, just pitches that he was trying to add to the fastball splitter to make him a little bit better. I think we saw that on display against the Nationals, and here's Kevin Gosman discussing both his pitch mix and the results that he saw on Sunday. I actually threw a good amount of cutters tonight, and it was a pitch that stayed in on those lefties, and I got a good amount of strikeouts on it, but... Yeah, you know, I wish I would have thrown more curveballs, but, you know, probably a good thing I didn't. And so uh, it was good. You know, it was uh, hit my spots, and we did a good job of getting a ground ball double play when we needed it. You know, just uh, a great quality game. So it's all about mixing things up and, of course, great command. Gosman discussed what exactly it looks like when he's on his game. I think when I'm going good, I'm able to move my fastball around in and out. And, um, you know, that's one thing. If you watch the game, you know, that's what I did a lot. Fastballs away, fastballs in fastballs up fastballs down and uh you know when i can do that effectively uh i make it tough on those guys the return of kevin gosman is just one of the moving parts that the braves have right now as brian snitker's looking to field a five-man rotation that can give the braves a chance to win on a regular basis each and every night and of course alex anthopoulos the braves general manager is currently fielding phone calls and making phone calls to figure out what he might be able to add not just to the braves pitching staff in terms of the bullpen help we know that they'd like to have but also in this rotation. Could the Braves swing a trade that would bring in an impact-type arm? We've all heard the rumors Madison Bumgarner may be staying in San Francisco, but there's a Marcus Stroman out there that the Toronto Blue Jays could trade. Noah Syndergaard is a heavily rumored candidate, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on in the show when Gabe Burns joins me. But Syndergaard is an interesting name and, of course, would be a major impact trade inside the division should the Mets and Braves figure out a way to work that out. Now, we don't know any of those things that are going to happen, but these are the kind of discussions, the kind of rumors that are swirling around Major League Baseball, not just for the Braves, but really for all 30 teams, depending on what buying and selling each club may be doing. As far as that five-man rotation is concerned, 
The Braves are also looking forward to getting Max Fried back from an IL stint for a blister. And Mike Fultonevich, who we'll also talk about in a moment, he's pitching pretty well in the minor leagues. Here's Brian Snitker discussing what kind of impact it makes to have Kevin Gosman back and pitching the way he did when he came over in the 2018 trade with the Orioles. You know, we were trying to, with some injuries and different things, we were trying to get some consistency back with it, and I think that's a huge step in the right direction. And, you know, we get Max back in there, and all of a sudden I, I like our rotation. I mean, it's I always have, but, you know, Goss is an established guy, so it's good getting him back in there. Kevin Gosman's return is huge, but getting Freed back from the IL and hopefully back on track and being more of the pitcher he was over the first couple of months than the last month That could also boost the Braves' rotation, putting the trade rumors aside for a moment. Another wild card in this equation, of course, is going to be Mike Fultonevich. What exactly has Fulte done since going down to Gwinnett to try to figure out how to get himself on track after a disastrous start to his season in Atlanta? Well, for Fulte, five starts in AAA, 4-0 record now, 293 ERA. He has walked just eight men while striking out 28 across 30 and two-thirds innings. And one of the best stats of all, because of how troubling it was at the major league level, Fultonevich has not allowed a home run in those five starts down at AAA Gwinnett after serving up 16 long balls in his brief time with the Braves this year, almost matching his total from 2018. The big difference maker for Mike Fultonevich, there's no two ways about it. It's not velocity, which has been back for a while. It's going to be consistency of his slider and being able to use that second pitch effectively to get swings and misses. The fastball is going to play up. He can mix in the changeup as he needs to. But for Fulte, it's all about commanding that slider and getting the results he needs, both called strikes and getting hitters to expand their zone. That's something that was just not working for him in his time with Atlanta, but something that appears to be on track thus far in Gwinnett. Now, the mechanics is one thing. The command is one thing. The confidence is another thing. And it all feeds in, I think, to getting Fulte on track mentally to where he does feel that confidence. And he's living up to not just the expectations that the team or the fans have for him, but the extremely high expectations that Mike Fultonevich has for himself of his performance. Look, I've talked to this guy for four or five years now. He's very aware when he doesn't do well on the mound. Based on the body language and some of the reactions, fans and opponents and other people can be very aware when things are not going well for him as well. Something he did so well in 2018 was finding a way to channel that energy and that frustration and make it work for him rather than getting bogged down in it getting caught in the moment and not being able to execute if he's able to turn that corner again the stuff is there the arsenal is there if he sharpens that slider he's going to have the pitch he needs to get the swings and misses he was getting a season ago and start limiting the damage opposing offenses have done to him thus far this year but it's all about putting all of the pieces to the puzzle together both physically and mentally and we'll see if Fulte's able to do that. As for an ETA when he could be back, I think he could be another couple of starts. It may be after the trade deadline before he comes back up and is put back into the picture. We'll see what way the Braves want to go with this. But a 2018 version of Mike Fultonevich jumping into your rotation for the stretch drive, that's as good as a trade, but it's one that you can't necessarily count on and you really won't know unless or until he goes out there and puts up those numbers for you. So the Braves will continue to do their due diligence figure out who's available in trade, and figure out what kind of deals could happen in the days leading up to the trade deadline on Wednesday. Now, one thing everybody recognizes when it comes to a performance like Kevin Gosman that gets you that split against the Washington Nationals is that everyone is going to have a role to play in the course of the 162 games. It's not just going to be, say, the two weeks that you're red hot because your offense is carrying you and somebody's on a long hitting streak. 
It might be that starting pitcher that puts together a nice month or two, and he's rolling along, and you're feeling pretty good about where you are with that. It's going to take everybody playing their part, and that's something that Josh Donaldson recognizes as a big part of this stretch run. Look, we need everybody. Uh, it's going to take 1 through 25, maybe 1 through 35, depending on situation that, that continues to go on. But everybody's key to our success. There's not one person that's more than anybody. You know, everybody has their role, and we need them to be able to do that. Now, that's something that Josh Donaldson was alluding to. That, of course, would be the trade deadline. Now, neither he nor any other player of the 25 men currently in the clubhouse have any control over that. So you kind of have to put that aside and deal with the guys that you go to battle with each and every night. As far as that's concerned, the Braves know they're going to see the ups and the downs of the 162. And unfortunately, some of the downs came against a club that was over 20 games under 500 in the Kansas City Royals, who rolled into SunTrust Park and did not play like a team that was 20-something games under 500 and buried in the American League Central standings. Brian Snitker discussed what he saw in a couple of frustrating losses against the Kansas City Royals. I was talking to a couple of guys. I think we need to just, I like it's better when we're playing 20 in a row. But, you know, you're going to go through that. Those, we had two really good ball games pitched against us the last two days. I mean, that team's better than, than their record from what I, the guys that they pitched and played against us. You just keep fighting that fight, man, and grinding and battling, and, you know, we're off tomorrow, and hopefully we go out and have a good road trip. If there's one thing the Braves have shown, resiliency, whether that be in an individual game, whether that be bouncing back from a tough series or a tough road trip, the Braves have shown the ability to bounce back. And a big part of this team's success has certainly been what the offense has been doing for the Braves, specifically since the lineup change in the middle of May, but since June 1st as the Braves went on a tear throughout June and all the way up to the All-Star break and just beyond the All-Star break, now it seems like the pendulum may be swinging back the other way. Regardless, Snit's expecting this club to answer the call and get itself back on track offensively because they're too talented not to. Because I know we can get hot at any point in time. These guys can start clicking, and again, you know it's hard to carry what we did in June. But we're better what we've shown the last two nights, too. So um, it's just one of them things that just got to keep getting after it and keep we're going to show up on Friday and you know get a winning streak going. These guys have always been very resilient and put – today behind him when um, however bad it's been and you know I have very confidence in that group in there to do the same thing now perhaps no player typifies the Braves struggles more than rookie slugger Austin Riley after lighting the world on fire for his first month or so in the major leagues regression has come and it's been difficult because the league has adjusted to him it's no secret breaking balls are going to be something he's going to have to figure out a plan of attack for now whether that be not expanding your zone to swing at bad ones or figuring out how to pull the trigger and show that you can hit the good ones. How bad has it gotten for Riley since his hot start? Well, let's just look at his month of July. He's batting 169, OPS just over 500. Not his slugging percentage, his OPS is just over 500. Only two homers for Riley and 27 strikeouts in 59 at-bats this season. And you have to start looking at what is the Braves' best starting eight on a given night. With the return of Ender and Ciarte, Riley might lose a little bit of playing time here and there, and if one of the two of them gets hot and that player happens to be Enciarte, you may see the Braves ride the hot hand for a while. Now, Enciarte's name is one that has been mentioned in trade rumors, and we'll see how that all plays out. But for Riley, it's going to be all about getting back on track, which is something Brian Snitker believes the young man is perfectly capable of doing. Part of the growing process. This is tough here because, you know, you come on the scene and everything's really good but then you know they got video and scouting reports and all that's part of becoming a major leaguer and 
the maturation process in this league. One of the things that's been the oddest of the Braves' 2019 season has been the fact that they just haven't played well after off days. Atlanta's record has been woeful after they've had a day off. I can't really put my finger on what the reason for that would be. Freddie Freeman discussed the advantages of having a day off after a frustrating series they had against Kansas City. Usually I'm always the one to say off days never come at a great time, but I'm going to go with yes on this one. Um, that was not a good two-game series for us um, offensively, and we just couldn't get anything going. I thought our pitching staff did a great job. Usually we've been clicking for a long time, and unfortunately we haven't clicked for this last week, so hopefully this off day comes at a good time. Now a two-game series does not define your season. The Braves will be able to look back on that, and sure, it's a couple of games that they could have won, should have won, would have liked to have won, however you want to term it, but over the course of 162 games, you're going to have quite a few like that, and you've got to have a short memory, and that's something that Freddie Freeman recognizes the importance of as well. It's frustrating, but that's why we play 162 games. Uh, we don't play 16, we don't play 80. There's a reason why we play 162 games. It's a grind, it's a roller coaster, and unfortunately we're at the bottom of that roller coaster these last couple of days. But hopefully this off day we'll get right back to it and start climbing our way back up to the top of that roller coaster. And if there's one thing about the character and the mentality and the makeup of the Braves really dating back to 2018 and really their time under Brian Snitker, it's been their ability to keep a good perspective of the course of the entire season, the 162 and the marathon that it is. And that's something that Freeman recognizes as well, downplaying the notion that anybody's out there just trying too hard. It's baseball. Every, everyone takes the same at bat the same. It's just, it happens. You know, I mean, a week ago I, I couldn't buy a hit, you know, and that's just kind of how things go. I felt good. It's just things that weren't falling for me, wasn't making contact. It's just, this, this is a long season and it's going to happen. When it happens, it's not fun to talk about. It's not fun to go through, but it happens every year. So, But this team's really, really good, and we're going to turn around real quick. The Braves have a big test in front of them. They've got a six-game road trip against the two teams chasing them in the division. Atlanta with a four-and-a-half game lead over Washington, five-and-a-half games over the Phillies heading into the weekend and heading into that six-game swing. Freddie Freeman said that they're well aware of how important this road trip is as they head down the stretch in first place and look to stay there. I mean, every time you play in a division, it's important, especially when you're getting close to August and September. So this is a big road trip. Definitely need to turn the page after these couple games and go out there and play like we normally can. So the Braves will be looking to put their best foot forward as they begin a six-game road trip up in Philadelphia with three this weekend, and then they'll play three games in Washington. So both teams chasing the Braves will have a chance to take a big bite out of that lead in the NLE standings. Let's turn our attention now to the trade deadline, which is Wednesday at 4 p.m. That's July the 31st. For all of you who've been counting it down, not very many shopping days remain. And to discuss all the intrigue around the trade deadline and, of course, what's going on with the Atlanta Braves and the buying that they could be doing, I want to welcome in my friend Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Make sure you are following Gabe on Twitter at Gabe Burns AJC. You can find all of his great writing there. He has already done some pieces regarding the trade deadline, what's coming up. Also, the Q&A session that he just did on Twitter. You can always chime in there because he is always looking for your feedback. Uh, Gabe, I appreciate you making time to join the show. We've been talking about doing this for a while, so I'm glad we are able to finally link up. And we got some really fun stuff to talk about for the Braves and for the rest of baseball with the trade deadline ahead of us. Grant, thanks for having me on. I'm glad that we can finally link up and kind of take our press box conversations to this forum. Yeah, it should be a whole lot of fun. There'll be less Marvel uh, as far as our discussions today go, except that we have a great crossover right out of the box. There's a guy that pitches in New York, and he goes by the nickname of Thor. 
And I think a lot of people are really fascinated by where he might be going should the Mets decide that they're ready to move one of their vaunted big starters. Of course, we know the Matt Harvey thing didn't work out so well for him, but they've still got Jacob deGrom, they've still got Noah Syndergaard, and they've still got Zach Wheeler. But the question becomes for especially Syndergaard and Wheeler, how much longer will they be New York Mets? I think everybody would like to put together a fantasy deal that would work to get Noah Syndergaard out of New York, but what's the sense you get as far as a price tag on a pitcher as talented as Syndergaard and what it might take to pry him away from the Mets here as the trade deadline is coming upon us? Well, it's going to be really steep, and as far as like willingness to meet that, I think that really is just kind of your personal taste on how you view Syndergaard. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a case that you could say, well, this guy's you know he's, he's been injured quite a bit, we might just be kind of overrating just he's a power pitcher, so we're just kind of overrating him in general. I mean, there's certainly a case for that. I mean, on the other end of things, he's pretty much made the most of a toxic situation for right. most of his time up there. Obviously, just like I just said, a power pitcher, really strong stuff. I mean, you feel like, yeah, I believe he's 26, just really entering his prime. There's a lot more there than what we've seen. I think everyone would agree that there's definitely a higher ceiling that he's yet to scratch. So he's really intriguing from that aspect, just because when you look at a team like the Braves, you know, when they targeted Kevin Gosman last year, I think that's a fantastic example. You know, they saw more there than what had been. And, you know, he produces a sub three ERA and 10 starts down the stretch, helps them win the NL East. So now we're looking at Syndergaard and, you know, this is like, an uber version of that of course and he's controllable for the next couple seasons after this one so and the Mets are in the NL East so this it's going to be a really high cost I mean we are talking about those top three guys that nobody wants to part with it would almost certainly have to include one of them Um, it wouldn't be shocking if the Mets asked for two they wouldn't get two at least from what we know about how the Braves operate and especially uh, Pache for that matter because I do think the team is counting on him to be the starting center fielder at some point next season, it could even be opening day yeah. um, if he continues progressing like he has. So I, I just I can't fathom a scenario that he's traded. Waters or Anderson, I think there's definitely there's a world where they get traded, and you or at least one one of them does, I should say. So you have to kind of ask yourself: Is this the kind of guy you really want to bet your chips on? You know, the Braves have been searching for a controllable starter. I mean, before Anthopoulos even got yeah, here, it's gone on the for previous a while. regime was all over. Yeah, they were all over Archer and Sale and all these guys, and they were kind of those names were bantered around for years. The Braves have kind of flirted with adding a guy like this, and you have to ask yourself, is this the right time, which I do think it's the right time. Is it the right player? That is extremely subjective. So yeah. I, obviously Alex knows Syndergaard very well um, from Toronto. He traded him. But uh, – I, per, I mean, in my personal opinion, I definitely think that you, if you get him out of New York, you would see a top 10-ish arm um, in the right situation. And it looks more and more like the Braves with Mike Fast with this defense behind him. I, there's just a lot of factors there that make you really intrigued and you feel like you might be landing a perennial Cy Young contender if you were able to get this guy in this system. Covered a lot of ground there, obviously. I think the big thing that we're looking at when you start talking about um, a Noah Syndergaard or any of these starters that are controllable is that is what the Braves are looking for if they're going to deal away their impact prospects. You mentioned Christian Pache, obviously. He's at the top of the list on everybody's top 30. Not too far behind him, though, is Ian Anderson and, of course, Drew Waters. And then there's a whole just bevy of arms that we could debate what 
you know, the what? value of these guys would be and to what team. Subjective, I think is the word you used, which is a pretty good one. And you mentioned Alex Anthopoulos is familiar with Noah Syndergaard because when he was a prospect, Syndergaard, he got traded for a Cy Young Award winner in R.A. Dickey. So there's a lot of history around here. But to bring the whole thing full circle, the Mets trading potential front of the rotation Cy Young Award contender like Syndergaard to one of the teams that they'll be facing in their division on a regular basis, I have to feel like that's probably not their preference. But I always come back to where are you going to get the best return and there aren't too many farm systems out there that have more to offer than Atlantis. Exactly. So my initial thought, when I saw Cindergard talk about the Braves, I kind of brushed it off because I was like, that makes no sense for the Mets. From just a you know optic standpoint with their fans, obviously their fans can't stand the Braves. Seeing Cindergard fulfill his promise in Atlanta would be a pretty bad look for them. And it's not as bad as the Yankees, which has been a lot of talk up there about you know the Yankees are interested in, but the Mets just won't send him there. But at the same time, if the Mets are honest with themselves, which they haven't been for a long time, right. if they're honest with themselves, that thing really needs a remake. seems like there's real cultural problems rooted deep there. I, I think the entire thing needs to be torn down. So if you're looking at it that way, if you say, you know, you retain Pete Alonso, you can even retain DeGrom. I mean, there's certain guys you'll keep, but if you're tearing the whole thing down, I'm not sure necessarily – that you should care that he's getting sent to Atlanta because you're not going to be competing with Atlanta anytime in the next few years anyway. And if you're getting the best return, if you're getting a guy like Ian Anderson, you could just as easily flip it from their perspective and say, well, if this kid hits, then the Braves have to deal with him. Right. And they have to deal with the fact that they traded this top-notch kid away or Drew Waters, if he's in the deal and he ends up being an all-star outfielder. I mean, you can flip it the other way. It's just, it's kind of however you want to view it. So, I don't think it would be ideal. I think they'd probably you know, rather send him even to an American League team because that's just how these teams operate, even though I don't really agree with it. Um, San Diego is a team like Atlanta that has a ton of young guys, and I think that they would probably prefer to send him there for the reasons we just discussed. So that is the most intriguing part of this. You know, We'll see how, just how willing they are. I mean, everyone's kind of – the New York Post just had a story this afternoon about basically the Mets are targeting the Padres and Braves in these trade talks. And, I mean, personally, like you said, I I just have a hard time believing that they would be targeting the Braves just because of the divisional stuff. But if they end up coming to you with Ian Anderson and some other nice pieces, and that's the best deal that you can get, I mean, that's that's a hell of a deal. No, it certainly is. And one of the words that gets thrown around a lot, I know you've seen it, I know I see it quite a bit on Twitter, is – you know, people want to know who is untouchable. And I really don't feel like, and this may be something that, you know, folks – may or may not agree with. I don't feel like the Braves are at a point now where prospects need to be deemed as untouchable. The real thing, I think, is weighing the pros and cons of the short-term gain and also the long-term gain in terms of, again, finding somebody who's not just going to be with you for one pennant race, somebody that could be with you for maybe two or three pennant races, which Noah Syndergaard would be one of those guys. So when I look at Christian Pache, when I look at Ian Anderson, and when I look at Drew Waters, would they all look great if they become stars in Atlanta? Yeah, they would, but they also have to go about the business of becoming stars, most certainly, and there is no guarantee with that. The prospect game, it's tantalizing because of the potential, but as you and I both know, and as most fans that have followed the game of baseball for any length of time know, not all of these guys become stars no matter how heralded they are coming through the minor leagues. So for the Braves, this acquisition cost is going to be a huge thing for them. I just feel like for Alex Anthopoulos and whoever else, it's not about untouchable prospects. It's about finding the right deal that would make them more inclined to move, say, an Ian Anderson 
or a Drew Waters or perhaps a Christian Pache. I just don't feel like we're talking about a couple of years ago when it was you cannot trade Ronald Acuna Jr. no matter what. Not that the Braves were considering that, but that's the kind yeah. of prospect I look at. When you've got the number one prospect in baseball, that's a different story. Exactly, and that's I remember in the offseason, you know, talking about the Syndergaard talks with San Diego, yeah. those rumors about the Mets wanting Tatis, and they were they just laughed that off. It's like, that that's just not happening. So when you have a guy like a Tatis or an Acuna, I mean, typically, I mean, unless Trout becomes available or something, I mean, he's, right. he, that player's not going to be discussed. So I agree with you. I mean, they don't have any untouchables. I, th- I do think, like I said earlier, Pache would be the hardest one to move. I think that's the guy they value the most. Right. And it's hard to see him getting moved for a pitcher just from that perspective as well. But when you look at Ian Anderson, I mean, everyone loves this kid. The organization continues to talk him up. Baseball America has him ranked really highly. I mean, just everyone thinks so highly of this kid. But, I mean, the truth is the odds of him being better than Cindergard are low. I mean, this is a legit guy. And if you're talking about ceiling-wise, if what you think you can bring out of Cindergard is what we expected out of him a couple of years ago, then it would be extremely difficult for Anderson to be that. So you can argue the control thing. You can argue, you know, that Ian's young. We don't know what he's going to be yet. But there is, you know, if you're trying to win, if you kind of decided that you have a little frame here, your window is opening, then there's definitely a case to be made, depending on the other pieces, that you would be okay with swapping out Anderson plus for Syndergaard. Yeah, and I think that the Braves having so many pitching prospects as they do makes it possible to absorb the loss of an Ian Anderson because you can turn around and, you know, say you trade two of your arms, say it's Anderson and for whatever reason it's Kyle Wright, and then it's another position player prospect and it maybe even a fourth piece, I don't know. Or maybe it's a scenario where the Mets want Johan Camargo. I mean, there's a lot of different ways it could go, and this is all just spitballing. Mm-hmm. But long story short, you can absorb the loss of pitching prospects because the Braves do have the depth there. If you lose an Anderson and if you lose you know, a Kyle Wright even, you do have three or four other arms that you feel good about that could be around the corner in the next 18 months or so that might make an impact. But I think, long story short, the Braves are no longer in this position where they have to accumulate that prospect wealth. Now they need to distribute it both to their major league club and using it as the currency in these deals that makes you better short-term. And you mentioned Syndergaard in terms of his age. will be 27 in August. But this is a guy that already has a top-10 finish in the Cy Young voting, a 200-plus strikeout season under his belt, and – like a lot of pitchers, he's having to deal with more home runs this year. But overall, I mean, there's an awful lot to like, as you said, about a guy that's coming into his prime as opposed to, say, a Madison Bumgarner who's going to be 30 or a Zach Grinky who would be a lot more expensive and you'd have to get really creative with that contract for most teams to even take him on, even though you'd like to have him this year and maybe next. I have to wonder about paying Zach Grinky $35 million a year. So lots of nice starting pitchers' names are getting thrown around, but – Man, these deals look so much different, both from acquisition cost and also from the price of some of these contracts. Yeah, they really do. And like we're talking about Bumgarner, and that's a guy that the Braves did have interest in. And that's obviously all the contenders would have interest in him because you're betting on this guy has another few superstar postseason starts left in him. And it looks like right now the Giants are not going to sell. That seems to be what everyone's reporting. So he might be off the table. And even then when he was – on the table, there was a ton of debates. I mean, that's like all Twitter could debate was, what's this guy actually worth? And yeah. a lot of people are arguing, is he actually an ace? Well, I, I haven't talked to anyone who views him really as an ace anymore, but I do think that he could be a difference maker in the postseason. You have to ask yourself, well, what is that really worth? 
He has not done particularly well against the Dodgers this year, and that does matter. So you're kind of looking at how is this team going to match up with the Cubs or with the Brewers or with the Dodgers, and you're kind of scanning the environment, and you're like, well, Grinky, they have not had interest in Grinky in the past, regardless of the money thing. Yeah. I think that just clubhouse-wise, that's not really a fit, so I wouldn't anticipate that really going anywhere except yeah. for just kind of speculation. But there are starters out there. There's, got, there's You know, a guy like Boyd, he's an interesting discussion. He's a bit polarizing. I mean, Strowman is a bit polarizing. I mean, there's guys out there, but there doesn't seem to be this, like, ideal perfect fit that you're saying, like, yeah, I feel good about pushing in my chips on this guy, except now that Cindergaard seems to be on the table and the Mets would be willing to talk with Atlanta about it, is just going off reports here, then that's the guy that automatically, I think, bolts to the top of the list. He's the mm-hmm. most, like you just summed it up, I mean, he's the most intriguing guy here, and I think he represents your best chance at having a perennial top 10 pitcher yeah and if i think of impact arms i mean no disrespect to any of the guys that we mentioned before this but madison bumgarner's impact years are now probably a couple of years behind him thanks to some freaky fluky type injuries and just a lack of performance however he has pitched very well over the last six weeks so give him his his credit for that but marcus stroman not necessarily a guy you look at as a perennial number one i don't know that boyd even in his breakout season is a guy that you can trust long term I know the Marlins' Caleb Smith is another guy that gets thrown around quite a bit. And then you get into Texas, and you hear a lot about Mike Miner, but I mean the Braves have seen Mike Miner before. They're familiar with this guy. But the numbers this year obviously show that he's a different pitcher than he was five years ago. I just don't know if that's the guy I want to take my big chance with. And like you said, pushing all those chips in and going after him, maybe it's cheaper to go in Texas and maybe try to pry away a Lance Lynn. If you're going that way. Now, that's not a sexy name, and that's not a number one starter either, but it may be one of those things where you try to just get the starting pitching depth and hope that the group overall is going to be able to perform to the level that they've shown at times this year when you already think about having Keiko in house and what Mike Soroka's been able to do. Julio Tehran's been more good than bad this year, so maybe he's your you know fourth option, fifth option if you're looking at it that way. And, uh, and then the Braves have still got to figure out some other things when it comes to Mike Fultonevich and Kevin Gossman and some of the other names that they have in-house, that it's good to have depth, but I think that, if anything, the Braves and Alex Anthopoulos, they want some clarity on the situation, and I think that they want some consistency from that rotation. And, Gabe, we have not seen that this year at all, as far as consistency is concerned, one through five for any length of time. We absolutely haven't, and you know that's probably the team's top concern. I think, ultimately, they would add a starter over a reliever if they kind of dictated those circumstances, but because of the market because of what we discussed. I think it's more likely they add a couple of relievers and don't end up getting a starter. But when you look at this weekend in Philadelphia, not to overstate the importance of one or two starts, but what happens with Freed and Gosman yeah. is going to be important because Max Freed is increasingly kind of becoming a wild card just from a health standpoint, and his performance has leveled off a bit. And then Gosman is a complete wild card. I, I don't think they're counting on Fulty in any capacity, but, I mean, if he was able to regain, you know, anything, 70%, 60% of what he was last year, that would be a welcome coup if for no other reason than eating innings in the regular season. So there's a lot to kind of evaluate there. I, I think when we're looking at these stars, they don't necessarily need a one. We get kind of obsessed with talking about, like, having a guy to top your rotation. Yeah, and I get it because, you know, the – the Braves' history is having these front-line guys. I mean, but at the same time, they don't necessarily need that right now. They need a guy that when you go into a postseason series, you can feel comfortable saying, okay, Soroka, Keichel, and player X. And as far as cashing in those chips go, 
not to get back onto Syndergaard or any of these type of guys, but so the Braves are really, really detail oriented. They're really smart about looking ahead, knowing who's going to be on the market, anticipating guys who could be available, knowing the free agent market, knowing past deals, kind of like this guy can expect to get this. And and you have to ask yourself, these guys who are available at the deadline, are these guys worth pushing those prospect chips in when you could spend those resources in the winter? And I know people roll their eyes at that, and they're like, well, you can't just keep punting on these opportunities and waiting. And I understand that, but at the same time, it's winter, there's going to be more suitors for guys, yes, but there's going to be more players available, and you're going to have an even better idea of your prospects now. So I think looking at it from that perspective, you know, this is not a tremendous field for trade candidates in the next few days. Right. So I think if they look ahead and they're aware of, you know, this guy, this guy, this guy might be available, and we like two of these players better than this guy who's available now. So that's why you're looking at maybe like the Royals relievers, these kind of lower guys. I don't know what Mike Miner would cost. Uh, They certainly wouldn't pay a high price for a guy like that. I mean, a fair price, sure, Sure. because I get it. He's got another year of control. Texas does want to win next year. I understand that. But it's just kind of weighing your options and being smart. And I don't think with the, how calculated the Braves have been about this process that they're all of a sudden going to throw it all away to acquire a guy or two two months before they could acquire somebody they like better. Maybe that comes at the expense of this postseason run, but if they're honest with themselves, they're not winning the World Series this year anyway unless there is that type of move or two that they feel like really would put them over the top. And the only person who can really answer that are the people in the front office. No, there's no doubt about that. But I don't think you'll hear anybody to a man, you know, especially if you look at the 25 guys in that clubhouse that are going to feel like they're going to, you know, lay down their chance to win the World Series. I don't think a front office should necessarily view it that way. And you're not necessarily saying that either. But the thing is, you know, the game's not played on paper. And there are going to be a lot of teams out there, and we've seen this before with clubs that have come in winning the wild card and making it all the way to the World Series and winning the World Series in years that they really, if you look at it, in some ways weren't even supposed to be there. So there's something to be said for the flip side of that coin where you can do an honest assessment, I think, but also give yourself the chance and the opportunity and take the chance that you need to to make an opportunity possible. And the Braves looking at relievers, and I want to get to those Kansas City relievers in just a moment because I think there's a lot to be said for those, but I went looking just as you were going through the possibilities of the future and you talked about top of the rotation pitchers. When you look at the free agent classes coming out very shortly in the winter, and I'm not, again, advocating that the Braves do nothing until then, but a guy like like Garrett Cole, that's a guy that I'd want to open up and spend on in free agency that won't cost me Christian Pache and that won't cost me Ian Anderson and three other guys in order to pick that guy up. And that's a, a possibility. Madison Bumgarner will be out there at that point. If the Braves want to go that route, maybe they sign two starters over the winter and trade some of these other prospects away. I mean, you and I have both spoken to Alex Anthopoulos recently. Uh, they're keeping an eye on what all these prospects are doing. And as you pointed out, they are definitely keeping an eye on the future, not just for the next two or three months, but also the winter and what kind of 40-man decisions they're going to need to make because I think that Anthopoulos and his crew is very aware. They've got a lot of 40-man decisions to make in terms of saving guys from and protecting them from the Rule 5 come the winter. Not that that's your trade deadline homework or whatnot, but they're definitely planned out, as you pointed out, months in advance. But, again, it's a numbers game, and not all these prospects are going to hit, and not all of them are going to be able to join the big league club in the next year or two. And then what they are once they get there. That's the question mark as well. So 
I think that the Braves may not necessarily be the odds-on favorite to win the World Series, but if you get hot at the right time and somebody else gets hurt for someone else at the wrong time, you might actually luck your way into something. And as we've learned at times, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Exactly. And building off that and what I said earlier, you don't know either. Like when I say that they're not winning the World Series this year, what I really meant by that was simply they're not in the same position as a team like the Dodgers where you were just, we've got to go get this thing. Like, we're the best team here. We've got to go get this thing. They can kind of afford to be a little more flexible with it and operate with less desperation. But what you said is absolutely right because you are – if Washington wins that wild card game, okay, let's assume the Braves win the East, Washington wins the wild card game. I mean, I know everyone makes fun of them about not winning a postseason series, but the Dodgers would have to go against a crazy good rotation. Yeah. And you don't know what could happen. I mean, you're a couple Scherzer gyms away from advancing. And if the Dodgers were to get knocked out early and the Braves were to win their series, then don't you feel a lot better all of a sudden about the NLCS if you're playing Washington instead of the Dodgers? Since everyone acts like the Dodgers are unbeatable, and maybe they are. But the point is is that we can't really predict. We can't just say, you know, they're going to match up with this team in the NLCS. That's why I kind of look at the whole field, and I'm saying, you know, can they get past the Cubs? I mean, the Cubs are a really experienced group. That's a talented team. I mean, I know they're tied with the Cardinals right now. But, I mean, again, like it's – it's not so simple, and if you can make a trade that increases your odds at winning the pennant, then, yeah, you're going to do it. But at the same time, you are not going to overpay because you're operating under kind of a we've got to get this thing done now. So yeah. I think from that standpoint, Alex kind of has some power here. Yeah, and the Dodgers, I'm sure, have a sense of urgency because as you know, revered as they are across the National League, and they earn it each and every year when they go out and you know win the most games and have put together such an impressive collection of talent. But this is a Dodgers team that is searching for its first World Series win since 1988. So the last time they were winning it all, Kirk Gibson was hitting a big home run, and that's been a while. So for them, I think there's a different kind of urgency to get to the World Series and win this thing because – you know, this is a, a franchise that, you know, going back throughout its past, and I'm sure that nobody in their locker room in 2019 is worried about all the World Series they've been to and the very few that they've won, but they're definitely concentrating on trying to win one come this fall. So it'll be fascinating to see what they do. And as you mentioned, you know, they not only have the talent already in-house, but they know what they need and they may go out there and get it because they seem to do it each and every year. Uh, pivoting back over to the Braves and to those relievers you brought up earlier, I'm been talking about for a couple of weeks on this podcast, Ian Kennedy and perhaps some of the other Royals arms. And we just got a firsthand look at the Royals closer in Ian Kennedy, who is basically was a starter on an albatross contract that the Royals weren't going to be able to move not four months ago. And funny enough, it's worked out that he's become a pretty good closer. Now, not necessarily the best closer in baseball, but certainly one that makes your bullpen better. I was reading a report earlier on Friday that the Royals are not interested in paying down any of Ian Kennedy's money. At least that's what they're posturing for. And I'm sure there's a good reason for that because he's owed almost $23 million to the end of next year. If I'm the Braves, I'm interested in Ian Kennedy, but not $23 million worth of Ian Kennedy. So it's going to be fascinating to see if that's the kind of arm they'll go after or if the Royals might scare some potential suitors away, not just the Braves, by insisting that somebody take on that kind of money for a pitcher that not too long ago uh, was really expendable, if you will. That kind of goes right along with what we've been saying about how really complicated that this situation is here because if you were a team like the Yankees that, you know, you can kind of take on the money and not really sweat it, 
then it's an entirely different discussion. But for the Braves who have preached about this flexibility that everybody loves to reference, mm-hmm. and they've got Josh Donaldson expiring, they've got Dallas Keuchel expiring, uh, they could potentially have holes at catcher. This is a team that is going to need to spend some money this offseason. And you can ask yourself about Ian Kennedy, and yeah, like you said, he's not the best closer in the game or anything like that. He would upgrade this bullpen. But at the same time, there are plenty of guys available who would upgrade this bullpen at a much lesser cost, even if they are rentals. So when you're weighing something like that, if the Royals are not going to eat money, you know, the, the Braves would just have to determine, you know, how much are they going to have available this winter, and is this the kind of move that would really affect them? from that standpoint because you're talking about Garrett Cole and if they decided to kind of go in on Garrett Cole then they are going to have to be kind of wise with their funds here and kind of you know watch what they're doing there so yeah I mean it's not the same thing but it has parallels to Trevor Bauer and that is there's a lot of talk about a guy there who um, is a not an ideal presence in the clubhouse I don't personally really like you know saying things that I've heard or so just because I don't know the guy sure. and I'm not there, but you know, word gets around and it's been out in reports. I mean, he's, you've seen the interviews with him. I mean, he's a pretty polarizing person and you look at that and you're saying, well, is he that, if I'm going to pay this amount to go out and get this guy, is he that much better than the next guy who I can pay uh, the same amount for who is not going to be an issue? So from that standpoint, there's something to weigh there. And then there's something to weigh with a guy like Ian Kennedy where he's due more money, he's fine, but the alternatives could make more sense. So it's just it kind of goes to show just how much you have to weigh this time of year and you're on a clock doing it. Yeah, and we'll find out, you know, what kind of competition there is out there because if you look at the NL wildcard picture, for example, you can make a case that there will be six teams in that picture that are interested in buying, plus your division winners, plus the division or what winners, I should say, but leaders, the division leaders right now, plus the American leagues got the same kind of picture as far as three or four teams at the top. They're going to be looking to add another three to four, maybe five teams that are trying to buy in and get to the top of a division. So we're going to find out in the not too distant future, if the Royals or the Rangers or any one of these clubs, or perhaps the Mets would be trade partners for the Braves. If you gave, had to look at it as the thing that the Braves are going to do from where you're sitting, you're most certain that they're going to do Uh, What do you expect from the Braves and Alex Anthopoulos by the time the trade deadline strikes 4 o'clock on Wednesday? Definitely add a reliever and probably two. I think that that their inability inability to land a starter would kind of further their sense of urgency to add maybe two bullpen arms instead of just one. I think ultimately people will probably be underwhelmed. Just because really relievers, unless it's a guy like Vasquez, don't really mm-hmm. move the needle for anybody. So people are going to end up underwhelmed. And I think there's going to be plenty of rumors about them trying to do bigger things. And there's going to be so many larger things that they're working on that we're not going to hear about yeah. just because that's how they are. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's kind of the problem when you have so many kind of rumors coming out about guys like Cindergard and whatever is when that team doesn't land them and they end up landing like a pair of – you know, above average relievers, it feels like a disappointment. But it really shouldn't be because this team does need bullpen help. I think that any kind of combo of two just above average arms would be huge. When you look at their bullpen situation, what they thought they were going to have in spring training and what they have now, it's really remarkable they've even been as successful as they have been. It it truly is remarkable. Uh, There's a lot of people in the organization from Alex down, Snit down, that deserve credit for this. 
And I know everyone hates on the bullpen, but when you look at the guys they have, I mean, do you really think they expected Jerry Blevins and Josh Tomlin and Anthony Swarzak to be like three guys still on this roster in July? It, it is remarkable there. So I do think they'll add another couple arms because you just can't have enough arms anyway. And then when you look at the postseason, you can kind of add displaced starters to the bullpen and you can kind of mix and match to determine what you need there. But the starter situation, the rotation, that's definitely going to be worth watching how they end up managing Mike Soropa's innings. If Freed can stay healthy moving forward, what you have there with Gosman, there's a lot that's going to go into that. And that's really going to make or break this stretch run. And probably if they're in the postseason, make or break what they do there too. No doubt about it. That's about as well as you can sum it up. He is Gabe Burns of the AJC, joining me here on From the Diamond. Make sure you're following Gabe on Twitter, at Gabe Burns, that's G-A-B-E-B-U-R-N-S-A-J-C. That way you can get all of his insight and fantastic coverage of the team all year long. Gabe, I appreciate you making the time. Glad we were finally able to do this, and look forward to catching you when the team comes back home. Absolutely will. Thanks for having me, Grant. All right, my thanks again to Gabe, and now it is time to wrap this episode up and take a look at what's ahead for the Braves and preview these two series. It begins this weekend in Philadelphia. It'll be Mike Soroka against Jake Arrieta in Game 1. Max Fried will come off the injured list to face Zach Eflin in Game 2. And then Kevin Gosman will get the start on Sunday against Aaron Nola. So those will be some good pitching matchups, and the Braves will have to figure out a way to win a series on the road in a place that was not very kind to them way back in the opening series of the season. That's been a long time, though. Braves go in with a five-and-a-half game lead over third-place Philadelphia in the weekend. Once they get done with that, the three days leading up to the trade deadline, it doesn't get much more intriguing for the Braves than Monday in Washington. They'll send Dallas Keuchel to the mound against Patrick Corbin. Then on Tuesday, Julio Tehran will match up with Max Scherzer. And on Wednesday, it's Mike Soroka against Anibal Sanchez. And, of course, Wednesday will be a day we'll be watching the clock all the way up to 4 p.m., That is when deals have to be consummated between clubs, completely done as the trade deadline will strike midnight, as it were, at 4 p.m. That is when the trade deadline comes down again, July 31st, Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. We'll find out exactly what the Braves and all the teams across baseball have done to make themselves better for the stretch run. Appreciate you joining me again on From the Diamond this week. And if you like what you heard and would like to hear some more, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews always appreciated, so keep those coming. And you can find the show on social media on Twitter at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. On Instagram, the show is at From the Diamond, no underscore. And I'm still at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T. M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. Lots of spelling going on. And from the diamond.com. That's where you can find everything from all the episodes of the show to all the articles and other fun content I'll have coming your way. So thanks again for joining me this week. We may do a midweek special on From the Diamond to go with the trade deadline and break everything down. We'll look into doing that perhaps Wednesday, more than likely Thursday. But if nothing else, a brand new episode will be out by Friday as we break down the trade deadline for the Braves and, of course, recap what has gone on in the road trip that Atlanta embarks on with three in Philly and three in Washington as well. So my thanks again to Gabe Burns from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for joining me, and thanks to you for listening along again this week. I'm Grant McCauley. This has been From the Diamond, and until next time, so long, everyone.